Good morning, everybody. Um, let's pray. As Lord Jesus, as your word is explained, please transform us. Amen. Uh, good day, everyone, again. My name's um, Anthony, and yeah, I'm before you, and I'm a little bit nervous. <laughs> not, not too bad. I think I can manage. Um, I'd like to introduce my family to you. Uh, there they are. That photo, the boys, um, Ryan and Charlie, will tell you is a few years old because Ryan, the eldest, is now pretty much taller than his mum. In fact, he is taller. Um, so Kerry is my wife, um, Ryan's 14, Charlie 12, and our daughter Lucy um, is six, and she just went to kids' church, and she would protest vehemently and say, she's actually almost seven. Um, we live in Wild Dog Valley. That's a photo of our place. Um, if you don't know where Wild Dog Valley is, uh, it's 15 minutes out of Leangatha and about 40 minutes from here. Although it took me about 36 minutes to get here this morning, so that was pretty good. And hopefully, you know those drives where you, you've got no recollection whatsoever of what you actually did? Hopefully I didn't leave a trail of destruction behind me. Um, and, yeah, let's... We probably should pray for my driving and my attentiveness. Um, I work at the Lee and Gatha campus of Cairo Christian School, and I teach students there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I teach secondary English and humanities. And uh, if you are a praying person, and I'm sure the room is full of praying people, please pray for Ryan and myself, because I am Ryan's home group teacher and English teacher this year. What I'd like you to do is think about who your best friend is, okay? So think about that person. Hopefully, someone comes to mind. Um, think about them. Imagine what they look like. And now think about what you like about them. What's your favorite thing about that person? There's a couple of husband and wife combinations looking sideways at each other at the moment, wondering who the, the other person is thinking of. <laughs> now that person, what's, what's your favourite thing to do with them? Maybe it's someone you've known for a really, really long time. You may have even gone to school with them or worked with them or something like that. Maybe it's someone who you haven't um, known for very long, but you've just clicked and connected and you're really great mates. Um, maybe it's someone who you cannot see for ages, and then when you do see them, you just leave, uh, the, the conversation flows, you connect again, and it's like you've been chatting for ages. Maybe it's someone you speak to all the time. Well, my best friend is actually my wife, Kerry. It is. And I'm not just saying that because it is Mother's Day really soon, and I'm not just saying that because her birthday and Mother's Day are practically the same day every year. She actually is the greatest. She's the best friend I've ever had. She knows me really, really, really well. And extraordinarily, she still loves me. <laughs> she's seen me at my best. And she's seen me at my worst. She's seen me calm. But she's also seen me lose my temper. She's heard me say kind things. But she's also heard me say awful things. She's seen me when I've been happy, and she's seen me when I'm in the depths of despair. 
Sometimes she even laughs at my jokes. <laughs> Sometimes she doesn't. But here's, here's the thing. I feel so safe around her because she knows me completely and yet she loves me all the same. Sorry. She knows me completely and yet she loves me all the same. Um, Tim Keller said this. To be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear but to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense, humbles us out of our self-righteousness and fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. Last week, Danny asked us if we're thirsty. Are you thirsty? We were invited to eat and drink God's truths, God's truths that truly and deeply satisfy, and we were challenged to stop working and striving for food that doesn't satisfy. And we were challenged to stop, to listen to God and eat what is good. So if we're thirsty and hungry for God's truths, what do we do? Well, if you've got a Bible, either a paper one or an electronic one, have Isaiah 55 in front of you. And I'm going to read um, from verse 3, Isaiah 55. Give ear and come to me, listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. See, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a ruler and commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations you do not know will come running to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. Let's remember the context. God's people are in exile in Babylon. They would have been tempted to think that God was not reliable, that his promises were hollow, that his word could not be trusted. God had promised them land. It had been taken from them and now they were in a foreign land. They had the temple, God's presence on earth, but it was in ruins. They were promised a king. Not only that, but David was promised that his line would endure forever. But now there's no land, no temple, no king. Verse 3 is a reminder of God's promise to David. And there's a promise in verse 5 that the nations will run to them. That is to be drawn to them because of the Lord's great name. But instead of being a blessing to the nations, another nation has been a curse to them. They've been invaded and it seems like God has abandoned his people. It would be understandable for those people to doubt God and doubt themselves. Doubt God because his promises seem to be in tatters and doubt themselves because it was their sin that caused these calamities. And just when God would have felt very distant, verse 6 just jumps off the page. So I'll read verse 6 and following. It says this, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. While he is near. 
They're in exile. He doesn't feel near. While he is near, he wouldn't have felt near at all. But the claim here is that he is, that he's close by, ready to listen. But there's also a sense of urgency. Time's running out. How do we seek? How do we call him? Verse 7. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God, for he will freely pardon. The people then and us now urge to change. This is the sign on the freeway. The scary sign. Wrong way, go back. Change our deeds, our actions, our behaviours. But even more than that, our thoughts. Because what can be visible, such as our actions, are just the tip of the iceberg. We all know that. It's our thoughts, our secret motivations, our hidden, darkest, sinful desires that are beneath the surface that are the problem. And I don't know about you, but too often I play the comparison game. I'm not as evil as that other person because I haven't... Dot, dot, dot. We play the game, we lie to ourselves about how good and godly we are. And that's the context of verses 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. These verses, you may have seen them on a magnet or a calendar, they're about God's holiness. God's thoughts, God's actions are infinitely higher than ours. His standards are out of reach. But he won't abandon us. At a time when God felt distant, And the people were doubting. Verse 10 says, As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. See, despite the people's circumstances, God was trustworthy. Despite our circumstances, God is trustworthy. Just like the rain and the snow which come from the skies, so God's word comes from heaven. And just like the flowers grow and the harvest comes because of the rain, God's word will achieve its purpose. And what is that purpose? Well, Isaiah 55 is full of beautiful truths about God's purposes. Verse 1 He offers us spiritual water and food, wine and milk that is free. Verse 2, the richest of fare. Verse 3, life and everlasting covenant and faithful love. Verse 6, we're encouraged to seek the Lord while he may be found. And verse 7, free forgiveness. Or as verse 12 and following say, you will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song before you and the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper, and instead of the briars, the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign that will endure forever. This is a reversal of the curses of Genesis 3. Instead of lives of weeds and frustration, there will be lives of blessing, so that God's name will be known. And so here's the key, and I love this quote by C.J. Marnie. Only those who are truly aware of their sin can truly cherish grace. And so it's true 
that the heavens, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are the Lord's ways higher than your ways and my thought, what the Lord's thoughts than our thoughts. But beautifully, at the same time, Psalm 103 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. God's ways are infinitely higher than ours, but his grace is infinitely wider than we can imagine. And there's true freedom in the knowledge that God knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows all about us. The good, the bad, and the ugly. And he desperately wants to be in a relationship with us. That relationship is on offer. It's beautiful, it's undeserved, we could never pay for it, and it's free because of Jesus, the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. So what's it like to know God's grace and who is it available to? Well, Acts 8 has a beautiful account that helps answer that question. Do you remember the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch? Anyone remember that story? So Philip is told by an angel to travel south to the desert road from Jerusalem to Gaza and there he meets an Ethiopian eunuch who's an important official in charge of the treasury of the Queen of the Ethiopians. And he had been to Jerusalem to worship. Now let's just stop there and put ourselves in the shoes of this eunuch. What do we know about him? Well, let's say some, one thing that's very obvious. He's Ethiopian, which means that he's black. He's a eunuch, a castrated male. He's an important person in charge of the treasury of the Queen of the Ethiopians, castrated to ensure his loyalty to her and not to any potential family because he couldn't be a father. He's someone who is actively seeking God. He had gone to Jerusalem to worship. Now, how would that have gone for him? What would have been the eunuch's self-talk at that time? We're not told, but I think that he would have felt that in no way he belonged. He didn't fit in there. He was very obviously a Gentile. He would have had to have um, had a ritual bath before, in a public setting before entering the temple. So it would have been very obvious that he was a eunuch. Leviticus and num- Numbers make it clear that anyone such as him would not have been allowed into the temple to worship. I don't think it's too much of a stretch to think that he would have felt rejected by God's people and even rejected by God himself. I don't belong here. I'm different to everyone else. I can feel the people staring at me. I'm not welcome. I feel rejected. There's no way that God will accept me. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever thought thoughts like that? The story goes on. Um, All of that experience does not dampen his enthusiasm for or his insatiable thirst for God. He really is thirsty. And so on his travels back, he's reading from Isaiah 53, and this is what he's reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants, for his life was taken from the earth? He's reading of one who was silent, humiliated, one who did not have descendants, one who died. He just needed someone to explain what it meant. And so Philip, empowered by the Spirit, 
explained the good news, and this account says, from that very passage. And here's where things get incredibly awesome. <laughs> Have you ever stumbled across a passage of Scripture, a verse or an account, and you just felt that it was written just for you? It just jumped out of the page and just hit you in the face, and you just say, oh, thank you, Lord, I really needed that. Have you ever had that? This is where the story gets so profound. Philip and the eunuch began from that very passage. And again, I don't think it's a stretch to think that they would have stumbled on chapter 56, only three chapters from where the eunuch was reading, so probably the, the same part of the scroll, and only a few verses after today's passage. And this is what it says. Put yourself in the shoes of the eunuch and you come across these words. Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say... The Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let no eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant. To them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. All of this had a profound impact on the eunuch where he had felt excluded by god he was now transformed by hearing the good news about jesus where he had felt rejected by god's people here was philip empowered by the spirit sitting with him in his chariot where he had been ashamed to bathe at the temple he was now eager to strip off again and get baptized here is water where the eunuch had been heartbroken he now went on his way rejoicing and where the eunuch experienced that the eunuch experience, the reality that God knows us fully and welcomes us fully and freely because of Jesus. The eunuch's life was turned upside down because of his beautiful experience of God's amazing grace. How wonderful is God's word? When I was about 10 or 11, uh, some basketballers came to our school to run a clinic and I was just in awe of these huge humans who were athletic and strong and skillful and everything that I wasn't. I was tall but not skillful and not particularly athletic. I was in awe of these people. And they came and they showed us a few tricks and talked to us about how if you put your mind to something, you can achieve something, I don't know, something like that. But what I remember is the show bag at the end. We got given this show bag and it had stickers and a few little bits and pieces in there and there was a poster in there and it had a picture of some of the basketballers and I just had in mind the spot on my wall where I was going to put this poster and I thought yes this is awesome so I got raced home dived into dad's desk grabbed some blue tack and put it on the wall problem problem the house had just been repainted see you already know where it's going <laughs> and mum had said, no posters, no blue tack. Dad gets home from work and I was just lounging in my room. Cool poster. Where'd you get the blue tack? Mum gave it to me. <laughs> Except she didn't. And she heard every word. <laughs> and I was in huge trouble. Uh, my response... I closed the door, took the poster down very, very carefully, balled up the blue tack, as you do, and hid under the bed. 
I was so ashamed of myself that my parents didn't even need to discipline me. And a while later, mum and dad came in and coaxed me out. I was probably hungry. (laughs) And that's one of the best hugs that I ever got. Fully known, really, really vulnerable, but loved completely. It's a cute story, isn't it? But uh, two years ago, I was metaphorically under the bed again. My world was falling apart. I couldn't work for months. My mental health was a disaster. And since then, I knew this was going to happen. Since then, God, by His Spirit, through His Word and through His people, has given me some of the best hugs I've ever had, fully known, fully loved. So whatever your self-talk is, God loves you. If you feel weighed down by sin, God loves you. If you feel out of place at church, God loves you. And if you feel that you've made just one too many mistakes, God loves you. If you're self-righteous, God loves you. And my prayer is that you experience God's radical inclusion today. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I pray that everyone here would truly experience what it is to be fully known and truly loved by you. It's what we need more than anything. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.